On Wednesday, we read from Matthew chapter 18, and we read of the disciples wondering who was the greatest, and Jesus said, it's actually the child, the one who humbles themselves like a child who is greatest in God's kingdom. He goes on to, to speak about getting out the, the plank in your own eye when, you're try, when you notice a speck in someone else's eye. And he talks about caring for these little ones, these little ones, to not sin in such a way that it would harm these little ones. And today we read, continuing from chapter 18, beginning with verse 15. If your brother or sister sins against you, Go and correct them when you're alone together. If they listen to you, then you've won over your brother or sister. But if they won't listen, take with you one or two others so that every word may be established by the mouth of two or three witnesses. But if they still won't pay attention, report it to the church. If they won't pay attention even to the church, treat them as you would a Gentile and a tax collector. I assure you that whatever you fasten on earth will be fastened in heaven, and whatever you loosen on earth will be loosened in heaven. Again, I assure you that if two of you agree on earth about anything you ask, then my Father, who is in heaven, will do it for you. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I'm there with them. Jesus is the word of God for all people. Thanks be to God. I find these to be some of the scariest words in scripture. Not the part about where two or three are gathered in my name, but the part about what you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And what you loosen on earth will be loosened in heaven as though the way that we treat one another can have heavenly consequences, eternal consequences, as though the way that we treat one another may impact how they see themselves as loved by God, as wanted by God, as a room in the kingdom of God for them. And all of this, all of this comes about in a chapter in which Jesus speaks over and over about forgiveness and especially about caring for the least, the little ones, the ones who humble themselves like a child. Forgiveness, forgiveness is one step in the stage towards atonement. Atonement's one of those fancy church words that no one uses outside the church, atonement. But if you took a disciple class, a disciple Bible study class, you might know that atonement is actually at one meant. We are meant to be at one. At one is how we were created. We were created in the image of a trinity God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three persons, and yet in unity with one another. We were not made to be separated from one another, hostile to one another, angry with one another. We were meant to be in unity with one another. We were created in the image of God, and that impacts how we treat one another, how it is when we are most like God 
looks like a community that forgives and cares for one another. Forgiveness is one step in this journey towards atonement. It is part of how God works. It is a cross-shaped endeavor. Jesus comes and bears himself, bears the cross, struggles on the cross, dies on the cross for someone else. Forgiveness, it's going to hurt. It will be costly in every case. And Jesus bears that cost because of God's great desire for that atonement, our being at one again, that the sins that we, we experience and know and participate in should not come between us and God. It is a cross-shaped process. It is a cross-shaped process in the sense that it requires requires a step forward, a cost. It's a cross-shaped process of atonement in the sense that the cross has a, a vertical bar. We are meant to be at one with God and a horizontal bar. Christ stretches out his arms on the cross and in the same way we are to stretch out our arms and our loves towards one another. Jesus sends out the disciples into the world at one moment. Atonement is not only a relationship with us and God, but our relationships with one another impacts our relationship with God. It's hard to find a good definition for forgiveness. Over time, I've settled on the definition of forgiveness as being reaching the point where you want what's best for the other person. You let go of the anger. You let go of any resentment. You give these to God. And all that's left is the words Jesus had, love your enemy. And try in your best to want what is best for the person who has hurt you. To want what is best for the person who has harmed you. And it is a struggle, which is why there's so much about forgiveness in the Gospel of Matthew. Our best guess is that this gospel of Matthew was a, a Jewish community, a community that most of them had been kicked out of their synagogues. In the gospel of Matthew, Matthew records many times when Jesus says, when they kick you out of the synagogue, when they accuse you, when they bring you before the priests and the, and the, and the juries and, and the courts, then... then then, and he's warning them. Jesus warns them. And Matthew wants his church family to see that when they experience this kind of trauma of being kicked out of your synagogue, of your family of faith, that, that Jesus knew that this would happen. 
they need to remember that, that Jesus knew this would happen and, and that there were words Jesus gave about how to react when someone harms you. The steps of forgiveness begin with unawareness of the hurt and of bringing that hurt to the other person. And instead of, instead of talking about the situation to your friends, which is how I normally process hurt, which does no good at all, <laughs> to go to the person who hurt you. Go to them first and say, do you realize what you've done? And explain the situation. And if they don't listen, if they don't hear, bring someone else and another person. Don't give up. Be persistent. <clears throat> because this person in harming you is also harming themselves. And in the same way that you see someone who is an addict, who is harming themselves by not letting go of, of the whatever drug that they're abusing, this person in continually harming someone else harming themselves. It is a situation that cannot go on. Forgiveness is more than singing with the, the frozen cast, let it go, let it go. It's hard work. It's hard work. There are those words, though, Jesus speaks, that there may be times when boundaries are necessary there may be times when you speak to the person who is causing harm again and again. You bring together the whole church and they refuse to change. In that situation, you have to treat them as someone who's like a, a Gentile or a tax collector. Gospel of Matthew, Jesus begins his sermon on the mount by, by talking about being humble, being meek. The blessings, this is the kind of community Jesus longs for, not a community in which some people lord over others, but in which everyone cares for everyone. It's not a community in which some people give and give and others take and take. The church is meant to be a community some give and others receive, where all of us give and all of us receive. Although there's a risk, a risk of being taken advantage of. And so Jesus sets that process, caring for those who are humble like children. When my sister, when my sister was hired to be the nursery coordinator of a church, well, it was a situation that was one that needed some forgiveness. When I called her to say, can I tell the story of the guy at church who was a jerk? She knew who I was talking about. <laughs> we laughed, we laughed. She was hired as this nursery coordinator. She didn't know anyone in the church. 
But she was assigned someone from staff parish, the, the personnel committee of the church, and, and, and they assigned Fred to help her. Fred would help her in recruiting volunteers. Fred would help her if she had questions. Fred would help by communicating as her liaison to the, to the committee if she had any problems and also give feedback. And, and Manda had not been there very long. When she became concerned about the nursery, there was this cabinet in the nursery, and the cabinet was a little bit top-heavy, could easily move, and the cabinet was not fastened to the wall. And she was very concerned about the danger of this, this cabinet, and so she, she talks to Fred next time he comes in on a Sunday morning and explains her concerns about this cabinet, and, and, and who does she contact about fixing this? And, and Fred says, oh, I can take care of that. No problem, no problem. Well, the next week she comes back, and the cabinet's not attached to the wall, and she reminds Fred, oh, yes, I forgot. He says, I'm so sorry about that. I will get that done. Another week goes by, and, and Amanda begins to worry. She gets where she blocks that part of the nursery, moves furniture to block that part of the nursery. She's worried a child might, might bump into it, another child, and the next thing you know that, that a child has been injured, and she begins to worry about the preschool because the preschool uses that classroom too. And then this time Fred comes in on Sunday, and she says, Fred, I really need you to do this. It's a dangerous situation. And that Sunday she comes back, and it still hasn't been done. So she goes to Ace Hardware and gets the materials needed to attach, attach the cabinet to the wall. And when Fred comes in, she gives him the receipt for reimbursement. A few weeks later, Amanda had her six-week review. It consisted of this statement, Amanda does not have a servant's heart. She needs to learn to work well with others. It still makes my chest hurt to think of my sister who was so kind and good with children, who if anything needs to be more assertive, being told that she doesn't have a servant's heart. When I called Benda to ask, is it okay if I tell about the jerk? It was in part because I'm still angry about it. Back then, I was telling her, you need to quit. You don't need to take this. You don't need a job where they're more concerned about their pride than they are about taking care of the children and the safety of the children. It's funny that after that review... Fred didn't stop by the nursery anymore. He didn't stop by to check how she was doing. Amanda noticed that when she walked down the hall, often he would turn and walk the other way. But Fred did not have a, a chance. Amanda has the best fake smile in the world, and she decided she was not going to let him avoid her. So whenever she saw him, she would call out to him, Fred, how's it going? Fred, I have a question about a church policy when I hire a new worker. Fred, I need your help. Poor Fred. <laughs> she was even more relentless when she saw him turn and walk away down the hallway. She would race down the hall, Fred, Fred, putting on her biggest fake smile. 
until finally he smiled back and stopped turning away, until finally her smile was no longer fake, but she was glad to see him. And they were working together to make that nursery the best one possible for the children. And a few years later, when she suggested a nursery model to make the rooms more inviting and welcoming, well, you know who was her biggest supporter and headed that nursery remodel project? Fred. Fred. It wasn't until I called up Amanda to say, do you remember that jerk? Can I talk about the jerk? that I learned that when Fred and his wife decided to become foster parents, Amanda was one of the ones who wrote a letter of recommendation for them about their character and their love of children, and that ever since, Fred's been caring for foster children, and he still calls up Amanda now and then about what it's like to raise children in the world today. There is a persistence in this pattern of forgiveness. There is a persistence, and it doesn't happen quickly. It often takes time, takes time. It takes seeing the other person not just as someone who harmed you, but as someone who will very likely has had their own hurts. What is the saying? Hurt people hurt people. Of recognizing this is someone who's been hurt. This is someone who's created in the image of God. And somehow I am part of how God is at work in their lives. I share my sister story about running after Fred with her fake smile, but there are some times when reconciliation is not possible. Forgiveness is not reconciliation. Sometimes our letting go, reaching the point where we want the best for the other person. We hope God makes a way in their lives. We want what's best for them is the best that we can hope for. Try to help them see the pain they're causing. Bring someone to help them. But if they continue to sin against you, let them be as a Gentile and a tax collector, someone who's not part of the community. Because... In a community that is meant to be one of forgiveness, a community in which people are supposed to be humble like a child, you can't have someone who will not see the way that they are hurting others. To be in a community with a mutual commitment, a trust and honesty, to be part of a community in which we talk to one another when there is hurt. Sometimes forgiveness just reaches the stage where we release our hurts and stop expecting unachievable outcomes. 
and stop allowing unsafe ways of relating to one another. Right now, I'm in the process of discovering just how not good I am at telling people what I think. I learned that I don't do good at listening to Jesus' description. I somehow have this idea that if someone harms me, if someone sins against me, or if I don't think they're doing things the way that they should be done, I don't tell them. I have this idea that not speaking up is better, that it's better not to hurt someone's feelings. So I tell others. You ever do that after a meeting? Why did the meeting end this way? Why did this group end up with this decision? It's not how I would have done it. And do you find yourself talking to people in the meeting after the meeting about how you wouldn't have done it that way? It hurts us. It breaks that little bit reflecting the image of God when we talk about one another instead of to one another. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. And when it's not possible for atonement, when it's not possible to continue relating as one another as family, as a church family, Treat them like Gentiles and tax collectors. How did Jesus treat Gentiles and tax collectors? Well, he talked about a Roman soldier. He said, your faith is as great as anything that I've seen in Israel. And went home with the tax collector and ate a meal with him. Not one of the family, but still respect, still reaching out, still welcoming a delicate balance, a delicate balance, a delicate balance because it's so, so easy to let someone know they're not wanted. I've never been in a church that said you can't be part of this church anymore because you keep on sinning. But I have been part of churches where someone disappeared from a Sunday school class or a small group for three weeks or four weeks and no one called them and implied we don't want you anymore. I have been part of churches where, where people weren't encouraged to use their gifts like they weren't good enough to help out. I think it's the scariest verse in the Bible, which you bind on earth is bound in heaven. That there are consequences in God's reign for how we as a church hold on to one another, accept one another, and love one another. This is something that churches have struggled with 
since the very beginning, and I, I mean almost the very beginning, because it's, it's always been easy as a church to distrust those who want to be part of a church in the first place. Confirmation could last over a year. Teach someone to pray. Teach someone to pray, thy kingdom come, when you teach them the Lord's Prayer. They might get the idea you're trying to overthrow Caesar. Teach someone, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. It sounds dangerous. Confirmation could take a year. And, and those last 40 days before someone was baptized, and it was usually on Easter, die with Christ and rise with Christ, baptize then. And, 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 and those last 40 days were days that were full of prayer. Prayers for forgiveness. Prayers for, for, for reaching out to others you've harmed. And, and prayers of thankfulness for God's forgiveness and confessing to God. The church at one point had to decide... Well, that's what we do with new members. What are we going to do with these members that have betrayed us as a church? Because during times of oppression, there were Christians who were told, leave the church, pray to Caesar, make offerings to Caesar, or we'll kill you. What do you do when someone betrays you in that way? Or worse, what if they demand to know who the leaders are in the church? And you're looking at your children and you're thinking, they're going to they're gonna torture my children if I don't turn over the leaders of the church? Or they're going to harm me and my family if I don't turn over these precious, precious letters from Paul and James and John? And the church had to decide, what do we do when someone hurts us, betrays us, and wants to come back? Do we just let them in? Do we just forgive them like it's been nothing? And they decided to treat them like new members for the last 40 days before Easter to come and, 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 and sit in the back of the church. Sit in the back. And we'll know that you're praying for forgiveness and wanting for forgiveness. And during this time, we want it to be a time of fasting and prayer, a time of, 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 of praying for forgiveness from, from past sins against God. And against the church. And so, so for those 40 days leading to, to Easter, the church would gather. And in the room, you'd see, see people who were new to the faith. And you would see those who had betrayed the, the, the church. And, and they were praying for forgiveness. They were praying prayers of repentance. And, and then there's everybody else in the church who look around and realize... I have things I need to confess. It's not just them. It's me too. And that was the origin of Lent. 
that we all needed to prepare for Easter with repentance, with confession. We all needed to make some changes in our lives to stop the ways that we're pushing away God. Make changes in our lives to welcome God, to heal relationships. And 2,000 years later, we're still doing this. We're still looking in the room and it's me too. It's me too. And that also helps us forgive.